on today's episode of Turning Season Podcast. And immediately I felt a sense of inadequacy because I'm not one for, I think the images that were shown to me were of members of the Extinction Rebellion on the streets of London. And I was thinking, oh my God, they're amazing. They're standing up and there's a power in that, the symbol of the, the fist. And I'm not that kind of person. And I, I think I've always given myself a bit of a hard time for not being an activist in that way. And I remember going, oh my God, I don't know if I want to hear about the other dimensions because I already feel like it's not my thing. Then when I heard about the new structures and the shift in consciousness, I went, oh yeah, there's a place for me in this. That's the voice of Sinead Cullen replying to my question about where she sees herself in the three dimensions of the great turning to a life-honoring society. Sinead is my guest on today's episode of Turning Season Podcast your regular dose of active hope in the great turning, bringing you news and deep conversations about our adventure toward a life-sustaining way of being human on Earth. This show is for every one of you who's awake to our multiple crises, feels your love for life on Earth, and chooses to participate in cultivating ways of life we can believe in. I'm your host, Leilani Navar. I'm a facilitator of The Work That Reconnects, an acupuncturist and a dream worker, and a believer in the power of conversation. This podcast is one way the great turning happens through me. Welcome and thank you for being here. The conversation you're about to hear with Sinead Cullen was a delight for me. I loved hearing her talk about her experience with art and architecture and getting to speak with her at this moment in her life as she's ready to open a new chapter, bringing her work with the practice called movement medicine, as well as deep ecology and the work that reconnects, and her time spent in eco-villages and indigenous communities, back to the field of architecture. Before we jump in, for anyone who's not familiar with what we call the spiral, that's a name for the stages of an experiential deep ecology or work that reconnects workshop. We always begin with group practices, teachings, or meditations related to gratitude, then move around the spiral into a stage called honoring our pain for the world, which naturally gives rise to the stage seeing with new and ancient eyes, and finally to going forth. You'll hear Sinead mention these phases of the spiral and how she's hosted workshops where people danced their way through the stages of the spiral or painted their way through. Sinead is currently running an online creativity challenge that integrates the work that reconnects and the teachings of Joanna Macy with creative expression. I know some of you listening will be drawn to that, so be sure to check out the show notes where there's a link to Sinead's website, as well as a few other things we mention, like info about the circular economy, a video of Jason McLennan's talk at Bioneers, the Living Building Challenge, and two poems that came up during our conversation. Find all that at turningseason.com slash episode 19, and enjoy this conversation. Sinead Cullen of Beautiful Earth Projects lives in the southwest of Ireland. She's an architect, visual artist, and movement medicine teacher. She's fascinated with the creative process and how we access our creative power, and she supports creatives to become creative change makers. Sinead works with individuals and organizations, engaging heads, hands, and hearts to imagine and build healthier ways of living. She's also worked as an architect and sustainable design consultant in the construction industry. Recently completed a year-long one painting a day challenge and spent two years living and learning about intentional communities and eco-villages, including time with indigenous groups to learn about their innate connection to the world. Welcome, Sinead. Thank you so much for joining me on Turning Season Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, I'm excited to, to speak with you. Likewise. I'd like to open up with some questions from the work that reconnects. So these will be open sentences and you can finish them however you're moved to. Sure. Some things I love about being alive on earth are? Uh, what comes to mind immediately is my my big love, which is um, 
which is to be in the sea. My, my huge love um, is the ocean and to interact with it too. I swim every day. I'm blessed and really, really lucky enough to be right by the sea here in Ireland. And I meet a group of people every day at 12.30 and we swim in the sea. And um, it's one of my favourite, favourite things just to be in that world. Um, there's something that fascinates me about being underwater and then above water, to be able to see this whole other uh, world of life, um, to watch the fish, um, to to see the changes from day to day. Uh, I just it makes me feel a part um, of the ever changing seasons. Uh, and I just even as I'm thinking about it now, I'm just glowing. <laughs> I'm just so happy. Um, I'm related to that. I love the edges um, of this of the the coastline. I love where the land meets the sea. I love where the air meets the water. I love those edge places. Um, yeah, I think there's something magical in them. And I love wild places. I'm very lucky to live in a wild part of the world. Um, here in the west of Ireland, we get the full force of the Atlantic and the Atlantic winds. Um, and there's something that brings me back to what I am and who I am uh, being here. Yeah. Mm. Mm, thank you. How beautiful. As you're glowing, I'm I'm grinning listening to it. <laughs> Sounds so dreamy. <laughs> All right. Well, as you know, in the work that reconnects, we expand into and ground into gratitude, and then we come around into honoring our pain for the world. And mm. the next open sentence is when I look around at what's happening in the world, something that breaks my heart is. Yeah, I guess what immediately comes to mind is the disconnection I see between people and in particular this beautiful place. There is a habit in this area of of dumping. Um, you know, it could be building materials, it could be old sofas, it could be um, old, yeah, it's old bits and pieces from houses that they're not dumped all along the coastline here, but there are spots where people have, perhaps in the past, it would have been a place where organic material may have been thrown. I don't really know. Um, and I haven't, I've only lived in this area for about two years, but it really saddens me that people think of the ocean, which I've, I love so much, and that ocean edge as, a, as being a toilet as it being a, a, a place where things can be thrown away. Um, and it just really pains me that people can come along with their old sofa and even they sometimes they'll set it on fire <laughs> uh, and then somehow turn away and go back to their home and, and feel that somehow that was okay, that they've gotten rid of something that they didn't want and they've left it in a beautiful place. And I just, I can't really get my head around where people's, thinking is around that or lack of thinking around it so yeah that causes me pain and confusion for sure mm -hmm. yeah I hear you I'm reminded of a, a poem by Fred Lamott maybe I'll share this one in the show notes he calls it mm -hmm. environmental Buddhism 101 and it ends the ending line is there is no such place as a way yeah. It like what are what is it that we've thought and even that we have the phrase throw away? Where is it supposed to go? Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a yeah. one closed system we're in here. Mm -hmm. um, I think that phrase is, has stayed with me since I heard it first as well. I do wonder about it. And I think it when they discovered that big island of trash in the middle of the Pacific. I think there was I remember thinking, well, there's <laughs> There's one place that a way is. You know? Yeah. There's a yeah. there's a way. It's a way island. Oh. It's, it's somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So I know you are passionate about working with creativity. And you mentioned to me how that is a part of the seeing with new eyes. We we did an open sentence for gratitude and one for honoring mm. our pain. And then in the spiral, we come around to what we could call seeing with new eyes, seeing with new and ancient eyes or perceiving in new ways. And so I know that's a, 
a big piece of your role in the world. And I want to really get into that shortly, but I want to ask you first about the great turning Mm -hmm. and the ways that we're shifting into life honoring, life sustaining ways of life. And those, those three dimensions, the holding actions. So I'm thinking about not putting trash in the oceans Mm -hmm. and the life sustaining systems, gardening or social structures or whatever that would be. And then the, the changes in consciousness that we need to have, the shifts we need to have in the way we even conceive of how human life works on earth that allow Mm -hmm. us to have the great turning. And I wonder about that, how you relate to those three ideas. If you see yourself in one more than the other, or how you maybe see those happening around you in the place where you are in the world right now. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time I heard about these three dimensions and, um, I remember the first one I think that I was introduced to was the holding actions and immediately I felt a sense of inadequacy because I'm not one for I think the images that were shown to me were of members of the Extinction Rebellion on the streets of London and I was thinking oh my god they're amazing they're standing up and there's a power in that the symbol of the, the fist I know to this and I'm not that kind of person. And I, I think I've always given myself a bit of a hard time for not being an activist in that way. And I remember going, oh, my God, I don't know if I want to hear about the other dimensions. because I already feel like it's not my thing. Then when I heard about the new structures and the shift in consciousness, I went, oh, yeah, there's a place for me in this. It's something I've been really fascinated with since I did, um, I did a master's a number of years ago in energy and environmental studies um, it was, was kind of stuck in architecture and not really sure how I could engage in it in a way that felt good for the future or was beneficial for the future or isn't beneficial for me in the present and during I did this the master's over in in Wales in CAT um, which is the Centre for Alternative Technology and it's the first time I was introduced to systems thinking and that I remember having this profound experience that, um, oh my God, everything is connected. For me, back in 2005, I think when that happened, it was a revelation for me. Like, oh my God, I don't know where or what I was thinking before that. But I do remember having this epiphany. I was like, oh my God, everything is related. Everything is connected. I got quite obsessed actually with the idea of interconnection and how if I touch one part of the web of life, that it does have an effect on other parts. And I began to think about the systems that I worked with. in particular, I suppose, at the time I was in construction. And there was a very definite beginning, middle and end to it. And um, I thought, well, what about what happens before the beginning of this <laughs> um, little linear system that we have? And what happens at the end of it? Mm. Uh, and I love the idea then through my research at the time, I got really interested in how we design buildings to be reused or designed for disassembly or design yeah designed for disassembly is what it should be called and I became fascinated with the people in the world that were really given that attention so really looking at the joints of buildings how not to use glue because it's very hard to take things apart that are glued together and instead looking at mechanical ways of connecting things I love that that hands-on, you know, really practical aspect of creating a, a new a, a new way of looking things, looking at things. And I also really enjoyed the people at the time that were looking at a different philosophy. I suppose that's when I heard probably first about the um, circular economy and how things could be connected. Um, I just thought it was really fascinating. It gave me gave me so much hope. Um, so that's probably it's an area of huge amount of. Uh, passion for me this idea that other structures are possible um and very much connected as that's probably the, the one that's the one dimension that I I definitely connect to the most and the other is in the shift in consciousness and I believe they're for me they're very much in, interconnected um in that I think that we're I've seen it over and over again over the years of my life of talking to people there's a sense that this is how it is. This is the structure. This is how it works. This is how it's 
senses. It's how it's always worked. Um, but what people mean, it's in my lifetime. That's how I've experienced it working. And so um, there is a shift in our awareness that this system, linear systems haven't been around for all that long. Before we created these very linear systems, um, we were just a part of, of nature and nature. There's no waste. Everything comes from, from the land and the air and returns to it. And yet we've created this idea that we somehow take them out of a system, out of nature as it, as it, as if they're separate. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm very curious about those two in particular. Um, and and I'm, I'm really curious about how we, I begin conversations with people that talk about how things can be different. I remember this, this was, it was back in about 2008 when I was doing the, the thesis. I remember talking to architects about the possibility of designing buildings in different ways. And at the time, this, this idea that buildings should be you know, reusable. And I remember some of the responses were people were very excited that this really saw this as an interesting design challenge. And others, one, some of the responses were particularly bizarre. There was this perception for some that their building will last forever, that they shouldn't even think about the demise uh, of it. It uh-huh. was a kind of a re- rejection of the death of this, of their building, which I thought was a really interesting, you know, this bu- the building, you know, buildings or monuments can often be perceived as metaphors for life it reminds me of that Shelley poem Ozymandias where um, the poet finds uh, happens on a a statue to Ramesses I can't remember which Ramesses it was but um, I don't don't know it all to hand it's not a long piece but um, I remember that the last lines of it so there was a Ramesses the king would have created this um, um, statue in honour of himself and yet the poet finds it fallen in the sands um obviously been worn over the years um and the phrase underneath it is um my name is Ozymandias king of kings look on me ye mighty and despair and I suppose that what the poem is saying is that Ozymandias thought that he would be or um Ramses thought that he would be remembered for eternity forever that this was a momentum this was a memorial to his greatness and people would despair because he was so great. But in reality, the, the statue is um, being disintegrated and mm-hmm. being, um, you know, returning back to nature. His ego could never stop the tides of time. And so the despair could be that we're all going to return to the desert, to the sea, to the air. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And isn't that a, a particular particular perspective too that that we might despair over that I mean of course we feel some you know grief and longing Mm -hmm. and and love Mm -hmm. of life but I I think the thread that's running through all these beautiful things you've just said about how do we look at what's after the end I love your Mm -hmm. question what what was before the beginning and what's after Mm -hmm. the end you know because it's not Mm -hmm. a it's not linear and if we're willing to ask what's after the end of my body what's after the end mm. of this statue what's after the end of this sofa <laughs> what's after the end of this mm. building you know what a what a more life honoring way that is because we're thinking beyond the lifespan of ourselves and and our um, material creations mm. I really am, am fascinated by the the specificity that you shared of like, what about not gluing things? Yeah. What about finding mechanical ways to detach? Because it yeah. really does come down to that, right? All these yeah. little, very distinct, different ways of doing things. I'm curious if if you ever got to design or build something with some of these more, did you say designed for disassembly features? Design. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any um, other examples? Oh, I suppose it's, well, the thing with, this is probably a whole other issue of conversation, but the whole area within architecture and design is often you're, you're bound by the, the budget of the client and the wills and the desires of the client. And the reality is within the current way of doing things, um, there, well, there are certain ways of doing things and to do them differently 
costs more money. Uh, mm-hmm. And so therefore, and so therefore, well, and I don't, you know, in reality, I don't believe these things should cost more money, but that's the way the system, the system is set up at the moment that certain, um, certain building systems cost, you know, are, are cheaper to use, are more efficient, and they're what builders, practically, the physical um, contractors, physically what they're used to, what they use, there's a whole series of different things yeah. that, um, um, prevented from happening. I have spoken with and held uh, workshops with local councils where they've looked at how they could probably bring, could perhaps bring that into specifications for new builds, into how they might create, um, how they might look at urban planning. But particularly for myself, I suppose, um, the projects that I've loved the most in, in my own life, in my own creation, creativity, have been it's more sculpture as well that I create. So mm. anything that I create with my hands or anything that I paint, I make sure that it will return to the earth. So anything that I've made, any installations, it can be taken apart. I don't glue things together. Or I try not to glue things together and they can always be reused. And in the question, you reminded me of something that's a slight tangent maybe in a way, but I became quite obsessed at one stage with creating land art. And the idea of creating elements in nature that um, and ways of engaging people that might think about the the land that they're on in different ways. So I lived up in Fintorn in Scotland for a while and I was I spent time out on Fintorn Beach and it's covered in these amazing, beautiful um, sea worn uh, stones of different colours. Um, there's beautiful greys and whites and yellows and reds. Um, and I would create lines running from the dunes down along to the shore. Uh, and I would sit back in the dunes then and watch people come along. And they would, I loved watching people engage with these lines. They would stop, some would walk around them. Um, and the next day the lines might be gone, but people would be looking for them. And I yeah. often wonder what are they thinking about when, you know, so the person who walked around the line one day would be looking for it the next day. And I'm mm-hmm. just very curious about the, the idea of things being there and things being and things being gone then. Mm. So um, yeah, that's a slight tangent from your question, but it, it was still the idea of, you know, how can I um, create art or design buildings that I'm not so attached to that I want them to last forever? Yeah. And can I enjoy them in the moment? And can they be inspiring for people and bring joy and maybe just that question of, um, oh, yeah, it's not here today. Mm-hmm. Where did it go? And what does that, you know, what kind of questions does that bring up for people? And I just I always love the simplicity of the stones and I've created circles as well. And I, oh, the circles were so much fun, especially with with children like they would jump straight in they'd be looking at the edge they'd want to pull one another in they'd want to own different circles they'd <laughs> they'd play games with them and start to create their own they, I, just it, it really fascinated me how these little temporary uh, it's just temporary lines it lines in the sand lines in the stones yeah could engage um so much creativity and so much fun um yeah just, I, I loved it that that sense of interaction as well with people in very simple ways yeah I love um, it hmm. yeah that's very cool so fun I can <laughs> I can picture I'm picturing the kids and the the walkers on the on the sand yeah, yeah. so well let's let's continue on from here and talk about creativity I mean this is oh. such a great example of you being creative and also having a, you know, a level of curiosity and intention around what are people going to think about and how might this shift Mm. consciousness? So I'd like to hear more, whatever you want to share about what creativity is for you. You've talked about Mm. how it's an innate feature of our lives and why it's important for change. Yeah. So what creativity means to me, I think when I was a little kid, I was, pretty shy and I've I've always struggled a little bit to understand the world um and my moments of 
of drawing or painting or making um, helped me to feel like a part of the world, connected to something else. I always felt, even when I was very, very small, if I was creating something, I would get lost in it. Um, but yet, lost in one way, but I felt I was at home. It, mm. It's the only way I could really describe it now. I didn't, I didn't know at the time what that really meant, other than I just I loved that feeling. And it was such an interesting thing, I suppose, even as a, a little kid, I didn't really think of anything that I created as being mine. I didn't mm. have a sense of ownership of it. And I remember being asked one time, by a little girl in my class I was a little girl as well and she asked me to paint a picture for her and they were all paintings I painted her a picture I think at the time I was obsessed with mountains and trees and I create they create these quite elaborate landscapes and they'd have little you know maybe one house but lots and lots of trees and lots of mountains and so I created I made one of these for her um, and at the time in my village there was a a the local the summer show was on there was an art competition and we all entered pieces in the art competition and she was in my age category and she won <laughs> she won this with my little piece and oh. I remember I remember just going oh that's wonderful you know that the piece won you know that's lovely and I think somebody found out that I had painted it or my mother or father or somebody or maybe my sister and they're like oh my god you're not angry and I was like no it's about the piece I genuinely as a little kid really you know didn't mind at all mm. um there would there's been such joy there was I just find such joy in making um yeah so creativity for me is is a way of um of reminding me who I am those words don't even they're not in any way adequate but that is close to what it feels like creativity allows me to uh make sense of the world I suppose as well I've used it to express uh, my pain. I was, I've been lucky enough to live in. At one stage, I lived in a. I lived in a studio. I slept and worked and painted and uh, was drawing in this one space. And I would have big sheets of paper up on the wall, um, big sheets of old builders' paper. And I would put on music and I would move. I practice a form of conscious dance and um, movement medicine. I think you referred to that, but it. It, through the dance, I would be able to really tap into any, you know, whatever emotion was arising. And it could be joy. Um, but in particular, the pain, I, I've i struggled with a lot, I think, in my life. And having this big piece of big sheets of paper on the wall, having a big lump of charcoal in my hand and having my body, moving my body with the pain and then expressing it in lines on the wall was such a powerful way to, you know, move the pain move and, try, and visually then see it on the wall and feel like, ah, oh, I've got some perspective on this. The same with with joy, but in particular, the pain, I suppose, was, yeah, creativity through the movement, through the expressing, through the like viscerally feeling my body moves, the parts of tension, the parts of freedom. That was... Um, yeah, it allowed me to understand how I felt in relation to the pain, in relation to the pain of the world as well. I remember one in particular was after being at a Friends of the Earth meeting about um, um, oil exploration in, I can't remember, it was a particular country in Africa. Um, and I was just in pain, in so much pain afterwards. Um, and I just had to to paint and express it, and this big drippy black um, piece of art emerged. Um, I'm not even sure if it was, I'm not sure if you call it art, but it allowed me to express the pain I was feeling. So, yeah, creativity allows me to find out how I'm feeling, mm-hmm. and also it it gives me hope. And this is where I suppose the work of the the work. Um, Joanna Macy's work, and I discovered it first a long time ago, it's just that idea of active hope um, and the spiral. I just, I think I, I would often get stuck in the pain for the world. Mm-hmm. And just that idea I've been able to see with, with new eyes um, over and over again. I think that idea, even moving to the spiral, saves me the idea and that capacity to imagine new ways of being um 
our creative capacities are just incredible. I was re-listening to your conversation with Liz Petra, who's mm-hmm. a who's a very good friend of mine, uh, Petra Bongartz, and you were talking about why people don't change, how people want change, and yet they're reluctant. I've wondered about this. I think my my favorite song, I think of all time, is such a classic, and it's Imagine by uh-huh. John Lennon. And even as I say it, there's such a a flood of emotions emerge in me. I think for an awful lot of people, that song's so powerful. And it's just that word, imagine the words of that song, that possibility of, of a world that can live in peace is, it, it, I think it taps into a, a part of me, I realize that doesn't have hope. And yet I'm being handed this possibility of hope. There's a, a bridge that's built in that in that song that, resonates with my pain for the world the reality that there's so many there's so much um there is destruction but there is this possibility of hope and i i work with people to i guess build that bridge between the place that is hopeless and to engage in their creativity and they're not always willing to do it so i often use i use dance i use movements i engage people in how they're feeling how they can move through it and I've used um drawing so we engage with exactly what I was um doing at, um at the after the friends of the earth meeting I asked people to make marks and actually put their pain on paper but then put their dreams on paper as well or create them visually and just that bridge can be a really really powerful thing for people and I think often we can think that the change that's needed is so immense when we get just get a small sense a small taste of what our hands can do or our voice can do or our words what they can create it gives us a thread of you know sometimes I call it that golden thread that connects us to that place of possibility Mm -hmm. Uh, so um yeah, I've definitely been <laughs> I've definitely been wandering around with your question there. So I'm curious where you are and what your response in relation to that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to hear more about movement medicine because you've mentioned mm. quite a bit about visual creativity mm. that's expressed visually. Mm. And Petra spoke a bit about movement medicine in her episode, mm. but I don't know that I really got a good understanding of mm what that means and how you are doing that with with folks sure um I guess I, I need to tell you just a little bit I feel to tell you a little bit about how I happened on it um I've always loved to dance I used to even go to clubs on my own as a, a young person and uh I've always loved that sense of again connection I think just to that uh there's some part of me that was danced I wasn't dancing I was being danced I was the dance uh, that's the way I used to feel um, and it felt like I was just I was the a creative process of dancing same with uh, as a kid I felt like I was the creative process of drawing um, so I discovered um, five rhythms which is a form of conscious dance and then discovered movement medicine this is again back in 2007 I think it was and so yeah movement medicine um yeah, it's a, it, as I said, it's a form of conscious dance. It's a, an invitation to engage our, our bodies, our hearts and our minds in the present moment in what is alive for us. So it's the practice is, I guess it's different for different teachers that facilitate. Um, we will use different kinds of music to uh, evoke or connect or invite or reduce out a connection. And the connections can be to the elements. They they can be to your body, heart, and mind. They can be in your connection, your layers of connection with yourself, with others, with your community and environment, with your ancestors, and even out to the great spirit and the, the great mystery. Um, there's a map that is used. There's a mandala that's used in movement medicine that and it tells the story of our different levels and different ways of connecting. So it shows the elements, it shows these layers of connections. So within different sessions or different workshops, we might use themes. A theme that I love to work with is balance. 
especially when I'm talking about creativity and we might use that idea of um, the balance of our awareness within our body and in the space around us, the balance of our awareness of the space behind our body and in front, left and right, and our connection um, to the earth below us and the sky above us. So it's a tricky thing to describe movement medicine because it's a lot of different things. But mm-hmm. predominantly, it is an invitation to connect in with more awareness, with more consciousness through our bodies and our hearts and our minds with the world around us. And through my apprenticeship and my training, the work that reconnects was woven in quite strongly. So we would have danced our way through the spiral, mm. which was a pretty powerful, a pretty powerful exercise as well. So yeah, I think wow. that deep body embodied engagement, I feel is so important for our own creativity. And I would have started to move at a time that I was really feeling disconnected from my profession, from architecture. I felt like I was just a, a head, you know, just a, a thinking or, a you know, a talking head. And I just I didn't even know who I was. I felt very disconnected. And I remember just really, really, really wanting to dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm at an interesting place now where I'm actually in the process of reconnecting back uh, more consciously into architecture. And it's a funny thing. People have said it to me, you know, how exactly, Sinead, are you going to combine movement and architecture? Architecture is such a static thing. And movement is such a, obviously, it's, a, it's all about moving and being dynamic. Uh, and I'm really curious, actually, to work with architects directly I haven't done this yet um, I've worked with other creatives but directly with architects I'm really curious to come back to the body and um, begin to look at that create the creative architectural process from a real embodied place one thing I said when I because I did step away from the profession one thing I said is that if I'm to return I want emotions and love to be in the boardrooms and that sounds and, and on one level such a, it's such a weird thing because like there is a, even a part of my own says, head says there's no place for love in conference rooms and in boardrooms. But to move forward, there has to be. Yeah. Um, so I'm really curious to close the this uh, this circle or this cycle for me and return and open the possibility, open the conversations to talking about not just how we design buildings for disassembly, but what does that mean for me as a designer? How am I in my body? How am I taking care of myself in my life from where I've come from and where I'm going to? What does this work mean for me and for my heart and for the hearts of, of my loved ones and the hearts uh, and the lives of the people that are going to inhabit these buildings? Um, I'm really curious to expand um, the awareness from a heart level. I think for, when I was within the system, I didn't have an awful lot of hope. I did end up doing the, the master's degree to, to understand the system in a different way, but I still felt powerless and I um, I did ultimately you know, step away. But where I stepped into was into really understanding my own relationship with my body, my relationship with the body of the earth, my relationship with my own emotions and you know, my mind and the challenges that I have. Um, and I realized that that all needs to be tended to as well. And I can't just be a talking head or a designing head. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm curious to understand how we can, I can weave these things together. And yeah. still, I notice it, even as I say it, there's a part of me going, it's preposterous. It's ridiculous. You know, you can't, what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> but I'm curious, I'm curious to, I guess I'm not going to launch myself straight into a boardroom of, you know, 20 people uh, my first thing will be to to you know to call on on designers on architects who are feeling that the pain yeah. if I was feeling it others are feeling it absolutely uh, and I'm curious to to see how I can engage them in 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 conversation invite them into maybe really simple mindful movement yeah uh, into engaging our hearts and just even that idea that possibility imagining that more love or some could be brought into boardrooms and into the the spaces and places where our cities and towns are being created. It just it, it kind of blows my mind and my heart open that that can be possible. So who knows if it'll happen in my lifetime? 
Um, and then it, the reality is it is happening in places around the world in lots mm-hmm. of different ways. So um, I just want to play my part. Yeah. Oh, I have no doubt that you will. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I, I mean, of course, there is the, you know, like you said, people had these different responses to the idea of buildings built for mm. disassembly or designed mm. for disassembly. Like mm. some people loved it and some people thought, well, why would I? And mm. I'm sure the idea of bringing love and movement into the boardroom as people are designing might, um, some people will find it just what they've been longing for. And mm. some people will say, mm. what are you talking about? It. Mm. I'm reminded of, are you familiar with the living building challenge? Yes. Yes. I'm reminded of Jason McClellan's talk at Bioneers this year. I'll have to see if it's if they've made it a publicly available talk and put that in the show notes. But yeah, he he came to the same thing. You know, it was he's so involved like you are and familiar with the particularities of design and water and solar and mm. materials. And ultimately, the talk is about how if we don't do this from love, we're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. And yeah. and you, I feel like you spoke to it a little bit earlier too when you you talked about hope, you know, and mm-hmm. and using creative expression to stay connected with hope. I think we could talk only about the action steps we need to take and the ways we mm-hmm. could design things differently mm-hmm. to have a life sustaining society, but we're not that's not our whole selves. We will feel grief. We will lose hope. We will regain hope. We will lose motivation, regain motivation, clarity, our sense of who we are, what guides us and keeps us moving, you know, is, is at least as big a part. I guess that's why shifting consciousness is its own whole dimension of the great turning. Mm -hmm. And so I'm cheering you on. I think it's a beautiful idea (laughs) and you'll find your way. Yeah. yeah. And I was, I guess, where I found the most inspiration for that, I think you mentioned it in, in the introduction, I spent two years traveling mostly around Europe and um, in South America, visiting and living in and living by exchange uh, in intentional communities. Mm-hmm. And these are places that are being, they're quite, you know, they're eco villages, they're co-housing groups, but they're people that want to create a different way of, of living, a different way of, some of them, they're very focused on a different way of, of building. Some of them, it's about different, being off-grid and having different ways of supplying their, of, of sourcing their energy. Others, it's very focused on food. And some, a lot of them try to do it all to begin with and then realize actually we need to come back to our <laughs> socially, how do we make decisions together and what happens mm-hmm. when we make, when we have arguments. So I love the, the practicalities of what's happening in intentional communities and eco-villages that are all over the world. Yeah. Um, they, they filled me with so much hope, really so much hope. And in a, an aspect of that, I suppose, that disappointed me, I think, initially, was that they were all approaching it differently. I was like, oh, my God, like these, you know, eco-village people really don't have it together. They're all doing it very differently. And then, of course, I realized after a while that every single community of people is a different constellation, mm-hmm. has a different personality, is going to come together in a different way. And I suppose that's a factor I hadn't actually mentioned before, was that when people come together and participate in the design of their own place, you know, they come together, their their constellation has its own personality. And of course, what they do is going to be different. And that really excites me that the idea of this, this evolution in how we design our towns and cities to bring more participation. And this is happening around the world. There is more, there, there is more invitation. There are more invitations to invite the occupants and the, the people of towns and villages to be a part of the plans of their future future cities and i mm-hmm. i love the fact that this will bring in personality some will automatically be much more focused on you know creating gardens or forests others will be more focused on creating community hubs to maybe work together in different ways but they'll all have different they'll have similarities but their personalities will come out and that just that also really um just brings an awful lot of joy to my heart because i feel like so much of the way design thinking can move is into, um, I don't know how to say this, 
without sounding a little bit strange, but there's so many aspects of our current world that are becoming so homogenous and we're becoming homogenized. Mm-hmm. And I, I just feel this desire to to break free from it and allow for a little bit of what appears like chaos actually emerges as very individual and beautiful personalities. Um, not doing it by the rules means, you know, and creating something different and, you know, something that has its own, it's its own way of of being, you know, it's it's its own uniqueness that is that can be celebrated. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's that's been one of my favorite personal shifts in consciousness from thinking in a more deep ecology way is that the differences, the different ways that each person does things, or that each place of land, each location is just different, and each group yeah. of people that that's so valuable, that that's a piece of the whole and that other people will see things differently than I do is Mm. such a gift. And I think this is a contrast for me personally, from my personality and in school and sort of always trying to find the right answer and the right way to do things and to realize, oh, there's no one right way. And there's no one person who's going to understand everything. We actually truly need each other. This comes in with dream work as well. When I do dream work in groups, we rely on a diverse group of perspectives and a diverse amount of life experience because what each person can see and what will emerge from them is a piece of the whole, you know? And so that's, that's what I'm hearing as you talk about how, of course, each eco village is different. It's got a different landscape, a different you know, watershed and different design and different human personalities. And so to trust that, to celebrate that, like you're saying, feels uh, feels really fun to me and like a relief from the mm-hmm. pursuit of, oh, there should be a way to do this. Or like you said, why don't they have it together and, and know the process? No, they ha- they do have it together, but in their own diverse ways, you know. Yeah, and there's so much in that actually about um, building relationship with one another. I guess that's what I learned about um, how communities aren't created. I mean, they 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 grow, and it's like any organic um, anything anything that we are a part of when we look around in the in the natural world that we are intrinsically a part of that it evolves over time. And what I did see in the in the eco village, in those communities, that it takes time, and there's an initial when um, that idea, the idea of slowing down, like Cheetah Slow is this movement in that emerged in in Italy, which is the slow towns. That idea initially, I thought was strange, you know, um, and people don't like it. This this idea of slowing things down, but when when you get your head around, oh yeah, things that actually can go at a different pace. And what happens if I I do begin to observe? And again, this is kind of within the ideas of permaculture, the first principle is to observe, observe, observe. The idea that if we begin to take time to listen to other people's perspectives, to to look at the land that we're curious to to build and design on, um, if we begin to, yeah, listen and understand in different ways, the land, the, the air, the these different perspectives we suddenly realize then oh this perspective is it is different to mine but it fits and oh it it's actually complementary yeah and i i think when we when we take time um to observe in that way the answers the creativity collectively we can co-create and like i was doing as a little child i think there's some there's a magic there's an oh there's such a magic in the creative process that holds us that is us and when we allow for it, and we do need to allow for it, it can, it, it becomes a flow. People talk about creative flow, but I'm trying to hack creative flow at the moment. But I, I believe it's a really sacred and beautiful phenomenon um, that is actually the truth of who we are. When we slow down, creativity emerges between us. And uh, I've, I've noticed that myself in trying to resolve issues and might be working really really hard and trying to solve it with my head and if I let myself uh, really listen to my own body listen to my heart observe the 
let's say it's a site I'm working at, really observe the site, really listen to the people, suddenly design solutions or creative solutions begin to emerge very organically. And I push, they don't emerge. When I allow, they emerge and then begin to, to really flourish. And it really does feel to me like a, like a garden or a forest that can grow when we allow it. Mm. <laughs> That's good advice. I like it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Slow down and let the solutions oh emerge. Yeah. That There's a different paradigm for us, huh? Different shift different in consciousness. Paradigm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Well, Sinead, as we approach the end of our time, I just want to ask you if there's anything else that we have or haven't touched on that you that's on your mind and your heart that you want to share with listeners before we wrap up. Oh, gosh. No, I just, I've really enjoyed the, this journey, it, talking about these different things that are connected, these different dimensions of looking at the world. And just like what I'm feeling, I suppose, at the moment in my own body is a sense of, of joy really and hope just to even just to be able to have these kinds of conversations and to have resources like your podcast. Or, yeah, it gives me hope. And sometimes mm. I forget to lean in and I just, I, I'm just really appreciating this. Thank you. This is nourishment for my heart. And so thank you. Yeah. Me too. Thank you. I I love knowing that you're out there in the southwest of Ireland in a totally different place, but playing your beautiful part in all of this and using your creativity. If anybody wants to connect with you and especially getting involved in your creative change makers support. Yeah, it's at the moment, actually, I'm running creativity challenges every few months. That's something that people can engage with online. Um, the local stuff hasn't really emerged actually post-COVID. I'm still finding my feet. So I also hold some um, creative nest and classes online. So what I'm doing is mostly online at the moment, but I'm hoping to find my roots in the ground here a little bit as well. Yeah. So okay, great. I think you've got a link to my website. So my offerings are on there. Perfect. I'll link to your website in the show notes and I'll check out the creative nest myself. It sounds just wonderful. Mm. Thank you so much. I feel that joy also, and mm. I'm very thankful for your time and for what you're doing. Mm. Thank you so much. I've really, really, really enjoyed the conversation. And thank you so much for listening. Be sure to visit the show notes for this episode at turningseason.com slash episode 19 to leave a comment and to find the links to Sinead's website, to more info about circular economy, and the talk I mentioned by Jason McLennan, founder of the Living Building Challenge, and those two poems, Ozymandias and Environmental Buddhism 101. I'll be back with your next dose of active hope in the form of a quick news episode on the new moon. Until then, thank you again for listening and for all the ways you play your part.